Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 6, Episode 2. If you never have a seat at the table, nobody's going to know what strength, you know, what strength coaches do for the program. And so now you get to give some input or some insight as to how we play a role in the department holistically. And I think that's important because if you want the industry to grow, you have to have somebody in that seat. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Christy Bartlett, the Assistant AD and Director of Olympic Strength and Conditioning at NC State University. Christy, welcome. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me up here. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to talk to you today, learn a little bit about your background and path to NC State. Uh, so if you would, kick us off. Tell us your story. How'd you get into the profession? I, I Well, we'll go way back. It, I guess it kind of started back in, uh, I was like six years old doing push-ups in my living room with my mom and dad and arm wrestling my mom and doing stuff like that. And um, But like you'll fast forward to high school and I... Um, went out to for the basketball team my freshman year and didn't make it. So I went into the coach's office as an arrogant, you know, 13, 14 year old. And I grew up in right outside the Outer Banks in a small rural town, one stoplight. And I thought I was the best thing in the county. And obviously I was not. <laughs> so I uh, went into the guy's office. I was like, you know, I didn't make the team. My name's not on the list. What's the deal? And he's like, you know, basically you're not good enough. And I was like, all right, bet. What I'm going to do is uh, come back next year and make the basketball team. And I won't stop there. I'm going to get a division one scholarship to go play ball. And he's like, yeah, okay. And so that, that summer, that like entire season, all I did was train. I started reading muscle mags, started, you know, working out with the football team and, and the, the field house um, at the high school started running, you know, suicides and just trying to get in shape and doing all the things that I needed to do. There was, I was on a slim fast, a slim fast diet with special K. I bought the shoes with the, the jump trainer shoes with the, the, the platform on the toe. I was like, we're getting after it. Um, playing all the pickup that I can get my hands on. And the next year I came back and ended up making the basketball team. Fast forward four years, I ended up getting a scholarship to go play basketball at Winthrop University. And so while I was there, my then strength coach was uh, Chip Pugh. And I'm like, dude, you get to hang out in the weight room in like Nike gear and sweatpants and like coach kids all day. He's like, yeah, as much. I was like, I need to do what you do. And he, I was like, what do I have to do? And he's like, you know, you, you, I was an athletic training major to start. And they were always trying to persuade me not to do it because of the hours that are involved with athletic training and that major. He was like, you need to switch your major to exercise science. I was like, all right, great. So I did it. Um, then I started reading, you know, all the things about strength and conditioning and, and that whole job. My first internship in strength and conditioning was at um, NC State, actually, back in 2004. Um, so I was here with Charles Stevenson and Chris Moreland. And I asked them, I was like, what's, you know, what do I got to, what do I got to do? Like, he's like, go get your master's. So I had, you know, Winthrop University and then I ended up transferring to Catawba College. I love that whole area of North Carolina. So I was like, I can't leave this area. I need to get my master's here. So I went to UNC Charlotte, got my master's there um, in clinical exercise phys. And I was also 
and volunteering in the, their strength and conditioning department and Davidson College's um, uh, strength and conditioning department while I was getting my master's and started reading like this, these elite, you know, elite FTS when that was a huge thing. And Jim Steele had written a article on that on he written he wrote an article and I read it and I was like I got to go work for this guy I have to go work for him so I, I you know I call I emailed him and I was like hey man this was probably back when I was a sophomore in college in my second year and I was I had told him hey man I, I want to come work for you he's like who is this and you know what's your experience I'm like I'm Christy you know I'm playing basketball down here in North Carolina but I want to be a strength coach he's like I got an internship you know available for you for the summer and I was like all right all right cool so obviously I didn't do it because I had basketball workouts and all that kind of stuff during undergrad but um I ended up you know fast forward like four years with my master's got my degree and then I started applying for jobs applied to everything I have zero experience but an intern experience and I'm like I'm applying for AD jobs I'm applying for head jobs I didn't care what it was I was like I got to get into the department so I get my first paid job at Moorhead State University over in Kentucky. And that was a culture shock if I've ever had one coming from Charlotte. It was, I rolled into town that day. And well, first of all, I did an on the phone interview. And then I was like, when do you, and then the next day he calls, he's like, you got the job. And it was a, it was a graduate assistant job, but I told him, I said, hey man, I, I just graduated with my master's. Like, I don't need another master's. And I really don't want to go to school. And he's like, I'll see if we can turn it to a part-time gig. I was like, great. Calls me. He's like, yeah, we can do that. So from there, I was like, when do you need me here? He's like, a week and a half. So I pack up all my stuff and I roll to Kentucky, made this blonde move and I get there and there's like a, it's in January in Kentucky and it's dark out. It's cloudy. The sun is hiding. There's a barren mountain in the background. The school hadn't been updated in I don't know how long. There was like a, a bunch of trailer parks and then with in between them were like meth labs. There were meth labs everywhere. And I was like, oh my God, what, <laughs> where am I? Like, what am I doing? So, you know, I call my parents like freaking out and they're like, you, you know, you're there for a job. You want to coach, you know, it's going to be temporary. You'll move on quickly. Like get your experience. So I was there for a year and then UPenn, the dream job with the dream coach that I had been admiring from afar. I was like, I'm, I, they posted, they opened up a job. I applied for the full-time gig, didn't get it. Um, and then he called me, he offered me a part-time gig. And I was like, yeah, for sure. Like I'm, yeah, Philadelphia sounds great. Much better than here. It was like a $10,000 job to like a $13,000 job. And I was like, mom, dad, I'm moving to Philly. They're like, you got a job? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got a job. How much? 13,000. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, it's a raise. I got a $3,000 raise. This is cool. Like, I'm, you know, Jim Steele's there. Like, I got to do this. And they're like, okay. Like, you know, do your thing. Um, so I get to UPenn and I was there for a year. And I, I had been applying for jobs. And James and I had been on a few interviews during that year. At the end of it, James Madison calls me and they're like, we got a full-time no Benny, um, no Benny um, position for you. I was like, great. I'm like, yes, making money now, you know, a cool 20,000. I'm like, let's go. And so I'm happy. 
and still in the meantime, he's like, don't leave. We're going to get you a full-time gig here. And if I just need a couple months, we're going to get you one full-time benefit. We're going to have you set up. And I was like, I got to go with what's in front of me. Like, I can't, you know, I need that on paper. You know, he's like, don't worry about it. Like, we're going to get you. I was like, all right. I left, went to James Madison. I was there for about four months and still calls me. He, he probably called me three weeks into me being at James Madison. He was like, all right, you're coming back it's in the works. We're going to post it on this date, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, cool. And I'm like, man, I've been here for four months. So then I go back to UPenn and I was there for nine years. And then uh, we all get let go like May, 2019. And then from there, um, what was it? I started, I needed to stay in coaching. So uh, there was Bryn Mawr College, which is about 30 minutes outside of the city in Philly. I started doing part-time strength and conditioning there and did that for about two months and then went to Roger Marandino called me from, uh, he was with the Colts and then the Browns for a long time. And he's like, you want to do the XFL? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So then I get in the XFL. I was up in New York, um, did that until COVID came and like smashed that all up. It's like game five and they were like, we're done. And I said, all right, cool. So then I'm back home on a couch. Like, what's what's next? What's next? And I had Tracy Zimmer, who I worked with at UPenn. She had done a, um, she had a fellowship position with the Atlanta Falcons. And she had spoken to a bunch of coaches, obviously, there and a couple of higher ups. And there was a, Scott Pioli had asked her if she would be interested in taking a job or doing, knew anybody who would be interested in NFL. And so she calls me and then puts me in contact with Scott. Scott's like, there's a position. Um, can't tell you what team yet, but like, would you be interested? And I'm like, hell yeah. So I was a training camp, um, like intern, an off-season intern for a little bit. Went out to Nashville, did that. And then at the end of the end of training camp, it was like, you want to stay on for the season. So I stayed on for the season. And then fast forward to like February, I start. They fin they're finishing up interviews for the NC State position here, and then we're here now. That's so awesome. That's, that's the gig. So just going back through your journey, you, you started in North Carolina. You threw yourself into the fire with taking any opportunity you could get. You were willing to go really anywhere, uh, where, wherever opportunity led you. You got uh, I don't know a lot of strength coaches that have worked in the, in the XF, XFL or had that experience. And that led you to an opportunity to work um, Tennessee Titans for a little bit. And now you're back in this assistant AD role at NC State. And so you've really seen a lot of the field. And I think one thing that coaches in this profession uh, all can resonate with is this path of you go to school, you get your bachelor's, you get your master's. It might be a GA position or an internship, and then you seek out a assistant coach job. That doesn't mean it's a full-time job. You know, right. I remember those early stages, like all I wanted was medical benefits. Like if something were to happen, I could get like, I didn't have to pay. I'll get out to get like my my knee scoped or whatever yeah. it would be, you know, like those are the things that go through your head. And you had to be very careful. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like looking both ways, you had to be careful. Yeah. yeah. Like, like you just, um, yeah, it, it's challenging. It speaks to a lot of the challenges. I do love your enthusiasm of just how you tell your story and 
that big pay raise from 10k to 13k <laughs> i think that's so cool um if you would you know where do you see strength and conditioning education you know just from your experience but how it leads into career progressions from through those roles that we're talking about up to where you're at today i mean how well are we preparing coaches for this career and what are some of the areas that maybe we could do a little bit better i mean within the school system i mean it's not i mean when i was this was i graduated in 2008 and then 2000 no yeah 2008 for my undergrad in 2010 so i don't know if it's changed or not but like most of my information was I didn't, I didn't get an NSCA, you know, textbook. There was none of that. Um, and it was all very physiology based. And then all the research studies were endurance based off of endurance athletes. So hopefully that's changed. Um, but you know, you got places like Springfield college and stuff like that. And you have a bunch of schools now. I remember there was like probably like two or three schools that had a minor in strength and conditioning that, you know, I think FIU was one of them and I was thinking about doing that. And then, so I just, you know, hopefully it's gotten better to where there's a bigger piece of the practicality, like coming in, knowing how to correct, you know, or command a room or learn how to set up flow of a weight room and, and you know, a workout and stuff like that, hopefully. Um, but if we're just doing endurance-based, you know, research studies and things like that, I mean, you're completely unprepared coming out of that. I mean, you have no other choice but to do unpaid internships, volunteer stuff. I mean, so. I think that's a great point. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of growth in education programs uh, since, since the early 2000s when we're talking about where it was challenging to find education programs that really suited the needs of coaches or aspiring coaches. And I've said this before where, you know, I didn't have a true mentor in strength and conditioning until well into uh, my first or second job in the field, just because your professors are uh, ex-phys or physiology professors a lot of times, or endocrinology or one of those subject areas. So those are the scientific foundations of our field. But I think Think just thinking of the CSCS exam, there's a whole other section. There's a whole right. other, you know, applied experiential component to strength and conditioning that maybe, well, it's interesting today because of all the online education that's becoming mm -hmm. available, but we do need to be careful in such an applied profession not to get too far in away from applied experience because there's a lot of value to those early uh, internship curriculums that we get exposed to uh, GA positions where you yeah. where you essentially do get thrown into the fire and you're leading teams and coaching and a lot of times a good recommendation comes out of those for for what becomes your full-time position it it really is um, obviously a relevant topic for us at the NSCA and I'm, I'm really glad you spoke to that a little, little bit and your journey, you know, with so many, so many stops, both long and short, really, um, really connects with that. I want to ask you about, you know, I mentioned it before, your willingness to go anywhere and seek opportunities. You know, how is that something that you would give as advice to young coaches that you got to take the plunge and go for it? wherever it takes you because opportunities are hard to come by or what's your, what's your advice on that? 
No, I definitely think that you need to go. Like, especially as a young coach out of college, you have no other choice. Like, you don't get to be picky. You don't get to sit there and say, well, I want to be a basketball guy. Well, you're not an anything guy right now. So what, so what exactly are you, what do you mean? Um, and I think as young, you have to find your edge. Like you have to push and like go because as a 20 year old, you may have, you're going to have less responsibility than compared to a 30 year old, a 35 year old who may be married, having kids and stuff like that. So find out like where you can push, like I can, I can work. 80 hours a week and then like live off of tuna and, and, and saltine crackers and stuff like that for, you know, I can do that for a solid year and be good to go. Like you doing that as a grown man or a grown woman with a husband or a wife, they may, you know, that may not fly. You know what I'm saying? you got other things you have to take into account. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a couple ways that you're probably going to get a job. Um, you're going to get grandfathered in, you intern, you're part-time, then you're full-time in that organization, or you're bouncing around and going from here to there to here for short bouts or long bouts, kind of like me. And there's probably other, a couple other ways, but like, I think it's necessary that you seize the opportunity and go and go and expect nothing, expect nothing. You know, you, you know, you're thinking you're going to go and get a, a $30,000 job. This pay sucks. The pay sucks. Like you make, I mean, $10,000. No, granted, I'm in the middle of Kentucky and it was 10 grand. I, I did not have a problem whatsoever with money. I mean, I live like a queen. So it wasn't, you know, I was able to go buy like chicken breast instead of tuna. You know what I'm saying? So it just kind of depends. And I, you know, the pay sucks, but like it, it's going somewhere. You should find joy in that process of like, you know, where you're at and to where you're going. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a great perspective is you want your situation, wherever you start, whether you start at 5k, 10k, 20k, you want your situation to continually get better. Mm -hmm. And it's, never going to improve at the rate you want it to, especially when you're looking at salary in, in pretty much any profession, that's probably yeah. the case. But it's something mm -hmm. that if you can see continual progress, that is a pretty good self check for you that you're doing some things well and making good decisions. Uh, and it's not all about salary. It's sometimes it is about just that quality experience and and giving up salary for a period of time to, to get that. I, I like that you spoke to really mentorship and just seeking out people that you wanted to work with, that you mm -hmm. saw value in, in seeking out and working with them. That's a, that's another piece uh, of, of this mentorship. And I want to kind of bridge that to what your current role is now uh, with this assistant AD title and this is obviously new. I think a lot of us could say, could speak to what a head strength and conditioning coach job description might be like, but adding the assistant AD element to it, what are the additional layers that that comes with? And just where do you see that position uh, in the field right now? Um, well, here, so head strength and then slash assistant AD, we have seven full-time people on staff. So I oversee these guys. Um, and then we have over 600 athletes. And so just overseeing the department in that sense. Um, and um, as far as an assistant AD, you just, you know, you're obviously head strength and conditioning coaches get to have those, you know, you're, man you're managing the, the facility, the budget and things like of that nature. But as an assistant AD, you get to be a part of those higher level meetings. You're looking at, you know, 
growth of the university as, as a whole. You get to be a part of those. You have a seat at the table to, to give your input because obviously nobody really knows if you never, if you never have a seat at the table, nobody's going to know what strength, you know, what strength coaches do for the program. And so now you get to give some input or some insight as to how we play a role in the department holistically. Um, and I think that's important because if you want the, if you want the, the industry to grow, you have to have somebody in that seat um, as a, you know, as a strength and conditioning, you know, coach. You know, it makes me think there was a time in this field where, you know, you develop your staff and your program. Maybe it's a football staff, you know, traditionally where, okay, well, staff gets let go. Now we're going to take the program to another university and just embed that there. Whereas what you're talking about is ingraining what you're doing in the weight room into the university culture and part of the university as a whole. You know, is that an area we can be better as a field of realizing our roles at our institutions? I think at small colleges, it's pretty evident where you see coach slash, you know, instructors are teaching a few courses and things like that. But at the, at the top division one level, do you see that as an area for, for improvement? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would depend on the organ or the school that you're at, depending on how ingrained it is or, you know, how integrated the university is with the athletics and, and, and then you have, you know, your certain pods within there. But I think that the more that everybody's involved with like the student athlete the better off that we can all be um so yeah there can be improvement there no i think that i think that's a tough question and i might have put you on the spot a little bit with that one but i think it is something to think about as we see these more leadership level positions you know you talk about having a seat at the table and and it's it really is you know when i have these conversations on the podcast a lot of it goes back to having value as a strength and conditioning coach, but also being able to communicate and show that value to our institutions. And just by being involved, it really leverages how impactful we can be as strength and conditioning professionals and how that skill set can uh, scale or translate across into, into other areas to support the institution as a whole. Uh, a common example would that would be recruiting of athletes and, uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's obviously academic advisement that goes on with athletes as well. And just getting a bigger picture view of where athletes are at within the program can set them up for success. So things don't come and sneak up on you eligibility wise. And right. it's just something I think about it. And, and I think with these new roles, there, there's definitely a, um, there's definitely a conversation there. We may not be there yet, but I appreciate you, uh, taking a, taking a stab at that one, you know, I I had to laugh, you know, we've talked about tuna saltines, jump shoes. We had slim fast shakes, you know, the strength and conditioning profession. We all have a lot of fun stories and things that kind of made us who we are. I, like I said, I I really like your energy and enthusiasm towards the profession. And it's, it's exciting to, just hear that because I think sometimes we can get caught up in the negative. I just want to ask you, you know, what do you love about this profession and what, what's the biggest area that you'd like to see improve in the next few years? 
just the overall development of the athlete, the physical piece is one thing. Um, however, I think the mental piece is even bigger. Um, they seeing that they can push to do what they're actually capable of and having a kid come in on week one as a freshman and you can tell body language is like, they're a little bit scared. You know, they're like, you know, I've never lifted before things like that. And then by week eight, they come in, chest is out a little bit more. The girls are excited. Like, Oh, I, you know, I deadlifted, you know, 80 kilos today or whatever that is. And, you know, they, they just need a lot of, I love the encouragement piece of it. Like, it's just like, you can do way more than what you think you can do. Um, way more than what you think you can do. You're not quite who you could be yet. And that's good because you always have something to build on. That's the best part of the job, the best part. And I, and I think that the, the lifting stuff, I, I love it. I love the lifting piece. Um, because I, after they leave college, I always tell them, I said, you guys, some of them, they end up like, oh, I'm so you know annoyed with lifting. I gotta come to lift. And I'm like, so when you're 35 and you're 36 years old, 30 years old, and you get, you're like, oh, wow, I used to be a lot more in shape. I'm going to get an email that says, hey, coach, you know, I was, I think it's time for me to start lifting again. And I'm going to say, I'm just going to write back. I told you so. <laughs> I told you you'd be back. You took like a little hiatus and all this, but teaching them actually processes when how, how you build programs and how you lift and you can take that with you for the rest of your life. Um, so that's a big piece to Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, you know, on the other side of that question, you know, what's the biggest area our profession can improve? What would you like to see in the next few years? That's a good question. I'd like to see. It might go back to that 10 or 13K that you were making. Yeah, I was about to say, it might be a little (laughs) shortcoming there would be like pay for those entry level jobs. Now, now, like it's, but it's okay. Like in, in my mind, it's okay that if, if your first job or your first year, you're working two jobs and you're making 15 K from one of them, like, it's okay. It's not going to be forever. I promise you it's only temporary unless you just get complacent. Um, but I think, it, you know, some of these entry-level jobs need to be a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little mm-hmm. bit more. They, they need to be, you need to be, be able to live. It's hard to live off of $15,000. Really, really, really hard. You can do it, but it's really difficult. Um, I also think that, you know, with sports science and all that, making a big splash and strength and conditioning now, I think that we should make sure that if you're going to have a sports science um, coach in here coaching, that they're not just locked in behind a computer doing all the data. I think it's super important that you actually have some practical experience, some applied experience from for your own personal stuff to, you can't tell an athlete do something that you've never done. I mean, as an athlete, I wouldn't respect you at all if you told me to squat and you haven't, you haven't lifted a bar, like you barely work out and things like that. But you can tell me, you know, why my load is, you know, my load is too high and all this kind of stuff. But I just think that uh, we can't be, it can't shift to where we're all, a lot of us are a bunch of theorists. We can recite how things is going to affect the body, how certain workloads are going to do this, you know, how certain workouts are going to play out, and then you've never done anything. Um, so I hope that it doesn't shift to that that far. Yeah, I I, I see a lot, a lot of layers to that onion, you know, where 
you have more knowledge and more information mm-hmm. being delivered from the weight room setting, from the sports science, performance science setting. But um, I've said before, you know, coaches are always the delivery mechanism of this information. And maybe on a higher level, it's, it's practitioners being someone, if you're going to influence training, if you're going to instruct athletes, if you're going to oversee uh, athletes using technology, you really should have a strong practitioner understanding of that weight room or field environment where you are. So the experiential aspect, especially when you're coming in from a highly analytical or research background, that doesn't mean they can't be great practitioners too, but just as coaches need to upskill in research and technology at this time, those professionals need to upskill into coaching science, coaching education, instructional practices. You know, I know in medicine, it's always the bedside manner. Well, you know, that's something coaches do pretty well for the most part, Mm -hmm. but that's not the reputation necessarily coming from academia and uh, you know, maybe the technology fields that, that are entering the, the field. So it is expanding. I know at the NSCA, this is an area that we talk about a lot in terms of continuing education. How are we going to expand our pool of continuing education opportunities into some of these new spaces where, you know, what, what extends beyond where we're currently at with strength and conditioning? I think that's, um, I think that's a great place to leave it today with just a lot to think about around the integration of strength and conditioning, sports science, your progression from uh, all the way up through into a senior leadership role within your department. Uh, Christy, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, thank you for having me. I've had fun. Yeah. um, So for anyone listening in who wants to reach out, what's the best way to do that? Um, you can check me out on like Facebook, just Christy Bartlett. And then my Instagram handle is Bartlett C42. And then if you want to email me, it's on the NC state website. Great. Christy Bartlett, assistant AD director of Olympic strength and conditioning at NC state. Great conversation. Really enjoyed this today to everyone listening in. Thank you. We'd also like to thank Sorenex exercise equipment. We appreciate their support. Hi, this is 2022 NSCA Professional Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year, Dan Dowerpole. Thanks for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, a top resource to hear relevant stories and insights from great coaches like you. To always get the latest episodes delivered right to your phone or computer, subscribe to on iTunes or look up the NSCA Coaching Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go to NSCA.com to join the NSCA at an upcoming conference or clinic. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.